Will you take your Bibles and join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? We're in a series entitled Five to Thrive. Five areas that when faithfully practiced will help you in your walk with God that you can remain fruitful and blessed. This isn't to suggest that everything is going to go as you planned in your life. But as your life unfolds, as you are tested, as you go through the trials and the tribulations, as God is conforming you into the image of Christ, if you'll do these things, you will stay on track with God as life happens. And it happens, doesn't it? Karen and I were just talking about that before service. Life happens. How are we going to deal with it? You're going to end up in, in directions you never thought. And if you'll do these, th- these five areas, I promise you, it'll help keep you on track for the things that you never saw coming. We've already covered our need for the Bible, prayer, church. And we had fun last week talking about giving. I see the longs are back. How convenient that they missed last week. What's that, brother? Yeah, and that's what's so interesting is the kids were here. You go and listen and tell me if it's worth me listening to later. Uh, he wanted them to learn how to be givers, but not himself. And so it's good to see folks come back after we talked about giving. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the last area, and that is the area of witnessing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'd like to read to you verses 12 through 21. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God." For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. As we talk about five to thrive, I think we all can see the importance of us being in the Word of God, being in prayer, being faithful to attend church, being faithful and trusting God with our finances. I think we can understand that, but why is witnessing in this group of five? Why would I put this one in here? 
Why is it so critical to your walk with God? And first, I need to be clear what is meant by the term witnessing. According to Webster's 1828 Dictionary, witnessing means seeing in person, bearing testimony, giving evidence. So when I ask, are you witnessing, it is being asked first with the understanding that you have first experienced Christ as your Savior. That's, without that, you may not understand all that's being said. You can still be a witness, by the way, but you're not going to be as effective. Because you can say what God's Word says, but you can't say it from a personal standpoint. So when I talk about being a witness, I'm talking about those who have experienced firsthand what it means to be saved. You've seen it in person. And then I'm asking if you are explaining to others what God has done in sending Christ to make a way for sinners to be saved by dying on the cross and rising again. That's the part of the definition of you bearing testimony. You're telling others what Christ came to do. And last, I'm asking, are you living a life which embodies that you are in Christ, that you are a new creature by the way you live? That's the part of the definition where you give evidence of knowing Christ. So are you a witness for Christ? Are you telling others what you know about Christ, who you personally know in Christ, and what Christ has done in your life as evidenced by how you now live as a new creature? Are you a witness? You may hear the term soul winner. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. It's not that we save them. Amen. We can't save anybody, but it means that you bring them to the one who can save. You win them to Christ so that He can save them. He does the saving. You do the leading. I'm not asking if you can teach an in-depth Bible study this morning. I'm not asking if you know all 66 books of the Bible. I'm not asking if you can explain why you attend an independent Baptist church. I'm not asking if you can give an intelligent answer as to why we've chosen to use the King James Bible. I'm not asking if you can wax eloquently about the differences between justification and sanctification and whatever other Asian you want to put in there. It doesn't matter if you know what theology is or Christology or pneumatology, soteriology, ecclesiology, eschatology, or any other ology means. I'm not asking you that. I'm not suggesting that we can be lazy and not study our Bible. We ought to try to learn as much as we possibly can. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You ought to be growing. And you are going to grow if you stay faithful. You'll grow if you stay in church and you pay attention and you take notes and all those things. You will grow if you stay faithful to reading your Bible. Amen. But I am saying that when it comes to witnessing, it is something that anyone who knows Christ can do regardless of their spiritual growth level. Anyone who has truly been born again can tell others what Christ has done for them. If you have been born again, then you can testify, you can witness to how Christ has saved you, why Christ needed to save you, and that Christ can do the same for them.
Someone has said it's as simple as a beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Consider the woman at the well after she was saved. She had no training. She had no schooling. She had no one that took her aside and explained this is how you take someone through the Romans road. She immediately went into the city and said, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And in John 4.39 it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, He told me all that ever I did. And I have to say these things to you because the most common excuse on why someone isn't productive in witnessing to others is how I don't know a whole lot. I got good news. You don't need to know much at all to be a witness. You just need to know what Christ has done in your life and then tell that to others. You may not even know the passages down pat. I doubt many of you can even remember the message that was preached when you got saved. Peter and John told the council in Acts 4.20, For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's being a witness. That's what's meant by witnessing. So back to the question, why is witnessing important enough to be considered essential to your life as a Christian? Why is witnessing important for you to thrive? Well, first of all, it is commanded. It is what we call the Great Commission. Before Jesus ascended, He told His followers to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The Bible says in Luke 24, 47 and 48, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. If you're not a witness for Christ, then you're not in obedience to Him. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If ye love me, keep my commandments. Not only is it a matter of obedience, but witnessing is a matter of love. In addition to witnessing, being a command of God, being a witness reveals where your heart is at. We talked about this last week with giving, and I probably said all that wrong. Just as giving reveals your heart, so witnessing will reveal where your heart is at. Luke 6.45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Somebody has once said, what's in the well will come up in the bucket. What's in your heart will come out of your mouth. So examine your conversation throughout the day, and you'll see what's in your heart the most. Now, I'm not saying we can't have conversations that don't revolve around the Bible. Come on now. (laughs) I'm not saying you can't talk about how Georgia is the best team in the country right now. I'm not saying that. No offense, Brother Treywick, but roll tide. George is going to beat him this year. I can feel it. We can talk about those things. Amen? We can talk about how, how Brother Long just didn't have it to get down the track in enough time uh, the other night. I know nothing about cars. 
he said something about something being off, and I'm just like, brother, that doesn't sound good to me. Um, but listen, we can talk. I'm not saying, oh, well, you know, boy, you just can't ever have a conversation around here unless you're talking about the Bible. I'm not saying that. But if you'll examine your conversation to the lost, what is coming out of your mouth is revealing what's in your heart. So what's in your heart? Witnessing is commanded. It reveals your heart. And witnessing is the primary means that God has chosen to reach the lost. Have you ever wondered why you are here? Is it just to be frustrated at parents as we are raised to go out and marry somebody and then have our own frustrating life? And then finally, when we're in our 80s, we go over to Millstone and we just look at each other and slurp soup until we die? Boy, we had a great life together. What is the purpose of it all? Why doesn't God just save us and take us on to glory? There are many reasons we can give. One is very simple, and that is this. You are the voice piece upon this earth. We are left to be witnesses so others can hear the gospel. Take just a moment and recount how you came to know Christ as your Savior. I doubt there were many here today that came to know Christ by reading the Bible on their own, never interacting with another believer. That can happen, and I'm thankful it does. But the majority of us, no doubt, our salvation testimony would be somebody, somewhere, interacted with us about our need for Christ. Or maybe we just had questions, so we went to somebody... There was interaction somewhere with a human being that helped us in our coming to know Christ as our Savior. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Why preaching, Lord? It's foolishness to the world. But He's used that to confound the wise. It is the foolishness of preaching. Not that preaching is foolishness. But the method in which God has chosen doesn't make a whole lot of sense to a lot of people. And what we ought to be, the reason we're here, is because we are to preach Christ and Him crucified to a lost and dying world. That's why you're here. You proclaim the gospel. It's opening your mouth and talking. Listen, I'm, I'm super excited if you have verses in your cubicle at work. Amen. I, I don't care if you've got the Liberty Baptist Tabernacle bumper sticker. Praise God. And God help you. Maybe you got the Jesus fish or whatever they call that thing. Are you opening your mouth? Are you opening your mouth? I'm glad you live clean, but are you preaching Christ? Now, that's kind of an introduction. I'm not going to go through all these verses verse by verse. You know me well enough to know that would take five months. So we're just going to jump in, break down, um, or look at just a couple of verses here. Notice in verse 14. It is the love of Christ which causes us to speak up. The love of Christ. Paul said, for the love of Christ constraineth us. Look at verse 15. That they which 
live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Because of God's love, we are constrained to live our life for him. This was not a fun path for me to take. Okay, I, I didn't sit in school and sit down with my guidance counselor and say, you know, I really want to be a pastor. No, it was the love of Christ that constrained me. Amen. It is the love of Christ that arrests us, as that means. Constrained us. Pressed us. Crowded us to Christ. We have been constrained because He loved us. When you learn who you are, listen, when you learn who you were before Christ and when you learn who you still are in Christ, you'll have a deeper love for our Savior. That He would save a dirty, rotten sinner like us. What a Savior. What great love. And it is that love that presses us to speak to others. To not live our lives for ourselves, but to live it for somebody else. We are compelled to live for Him. I want you to listen. This is a little bit lengthy, but I want you to listen to Charles Spurgeon's writing in his morning and evening devotional on this thought. Quote, How much owest thou unto my Lord? Has He ever done anything for thee? Has He forgiven thy sins? Has He covered thee with a robe of righteousness? Has He set thy feet upon a rock? Has He established thy goings? Has He prepared heaven for thee? Has He prepared thee for heaven? Has He written thy name in His book of life? Has He given thee countless blessings? Has He laid up for thee a store of mercies, which eye hath not seen nor ear heard? then do something for Jesus worthy of His love. Give not a mere wordy offering to a dying Redeemer. How will you feel when your Master comes if you have to confess that you did nothing for Him, but kept your love shut up like a stagnant pool, neither flowing forth to His poor or to His work? Out on such love as that, what do men think of a love which never shows itself in action? Why they say open rebuke is better than secret love. Who will accept a love so weak that it does not actuate you to a single deed of self-denial, of generosity, of heroism, or zeal? Think how He has loved you and given Himself for you. Do you know the power of that love? Then let it be like a rushing mighty wind to your soul to sweep out the clouds of your worldliness and clear away the mist of sin. For Christ's sake, be this the tongue of fire that shall sit upon you, the divine spirit that shall make you bold as lions, swift as eagles in your Lord's service. Love should give wings to your feet of service and strength to the arms of labor, fixed on God with a constancy that is not to be shaken, resolute to honor Him with a determination that is not to be turned aside and pressing on with an ardor never to be wearied. Let us manifest the constraints of the love 
to Jesus. May the divine lodestone draw us heavenward towards itself, end quote. Has Jesus done anything for you? If you have truly experienced a saving faith in Christ alone, then it is your love for Christ that ought to constrain you to be a witness to what to others for what Christ has done for you. Your purpose here is not to live unto yourself. But your purpose, now that you're in Christ, is to live unto Him who died for you and rose again. In Romans 12, Paul calls this our reasonable service. Look at verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ and hath given, us, hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. The purpose of Christ's coming was to reconcile God to man. Reconcile man to God. There we go. Christ's sacrifice in His blood will place those who accept His free gift of salvation into a right relationship with God. Reconciliation. And now that ministry, isn't this amazing? That ministry of reconciliation, the Bible says, has been given to us. Try to get the weight of what is being said. God has entrusted to us the very reason He came to this earth. This is huge. We are to proclaim to others that they can be reconciled to God in Christ. Verse 19 says, To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. I want you to notice the end of verse 19. Look at what it says. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What an amazing responsibility that has been given to us. We are now the instruments of preaching reconciliation in the world. Because of this, we see in verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. In other words, we are Christ's representative upon this earth. We represent our potentate, our king, our sovereign, our ruler, our master upon this earth. We are sent by Him to a foreign land. And we represent Him, we get the message from Him, and we stand before that ruler of that other nation as an ambassador, and we tell them the good news of Christ. Of course, we do that for everybody, but you understand the role of an ambassador. We give them what God has given us. It's as if Jesus is the one speaking. That's what an ambassador is. When somebody is sent from America to be an ambassador in a foreign country, it's as if the president is sitting there before them giving that message. We are ambassadors. It's as if Jesus were preaching. You say, I don't like that. That doesn't sound good. Well, look at the middle of verse 20. We pray you in Christ's stead. There it is. You're an ambassador in the stead of Christ. You represent Him. You give His message. 
You are now in Christ's stead. Jesus said in Luke 10, 16, He that heareth you, heareth me. He that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. What is our message? Is at the end of verse 20. Be ye reconciled to God. In other words, we would tell people, you need to get right with God. You must be born again. You must place your faith and trust in Christ alone. His finished work on the cross. There are many different ways to say it. But the bottom line is, we need to be out there telling people, you need to be reconciled to God. We proclaim a clear presentation. You say, what's the, what's the message? What's the presentation? Verse 21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We preach that sinners need a Savior. How that, that Savior is only found in Christ. Get this now. Our message is this. He's become sin for you. What does that mean? You don't get hung up on all the other issues. I, I hammer this all the time. Y'all know this. Don't get hung up on all those issues. Well, do you think somebody was born that way? Of course I do. They're all born sinners. Bam. We can talk about the science later. Listen, you don't get hung up on all the side issues. What's going to happen to those in the Congo? What's going to happen to you? We, we don't get sidetracked. Be ye reconciled to God. Well, I just don't understand why you do this and do that. And I don't understand why your pastor has to yell and scream. And I don't understand why he wears a tie. And I don't understand. Do you know Christ is your Savior? Have you been born again? Do you know why Christ came? Do you know what He's done for me? He can do the same for you. Clear gospel presentation. Don't get hung up on issues which detract from the need of being saved, but keep pressing Christ and the message of the cross. We proclaim how the sinless one became sin for us to appease the wrath of God's sentence, which is upon everyone that is outside of Christ. We preach how that we are hell-deserving sinners. Say amen. People don't like to hear it today. I know that. But there is a place called hell. Hell is going to be cast into the lake of fire one day, and this is called the second death. And there's a reason why we're here to proclaim the message. It's not just so we can look good doing it. It's because the wrath of God abides on every sinner. It is waiting to be executed. The sentence has been passed. It just hasn't been fulfilled all the way yet because Christ has given you an opportunity to be saved. Give the message. Listen, you don't have to shy away from hell and heaven and all the rest. It's in the Bible. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to look at that in just a minute. We preach how we deserve hell, that we deserve the wrath of God because all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone unto his own way. But then we tell them of how God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. We preach how Christ was despised and rejected of men. That He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. He was despised and we esteemed Him not. 
And we preach to them how surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. We preach that He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. We preach how Christ was oppressed and afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. We preach how He was taken from prison, from judgment. How He was cut off out of the land of the living. And that for the transgressions of God's people, He gave His life. And we tell how He made His grave with the wicked and with the rich in His death because He had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in His mouth. We preach how it pleased the Lord to bruise His only begotten Son. I love my boys. And if you think I'd put that one on the cross for you, you got another thing coming. And yet God put His only begotten Son on the cross to endure His wrath that you and I might be saved. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He hath put Him to grief when thou shalt make His soul an offering for sin. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We preach how our righteousness could never be good enough to save us. That's why Christ had to die in our place. God knew that we could never come to Him, so He came down to us. Therefore, we preach how being good can't save. Good works can't save you. Baptism can't save you. Being in a good church can't save you. You can have all the religious observances in the world that cannot save you. But we preach how we need Christ's righteousness imputed to us. We are His ambassadors this morning. That is our message. We are His witnesses. And if we don't tell the lost, who will? Do you really believe God's Word this morning? Do you believe that the wages of sin is death? Do we believe that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Then why wouldn't we be witnesses of that truth? Romans 5, 8-10, But God commendeth His love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Let me ask you, what was the wrath that we needed to be saved from? That's what the Bible says in Romans 5.9. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. What was the wrath? Just to die and go into annihilation? No. Is the wrath not an eternity separated from God in a place called hell when you die? 
And as I said, will one day be cast into the lake of fire? Revelation 20, 14, and 15, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God put the reality of this truth deep within us. We say we believe this book, do we really? Why isn't it motivating us to tell as many as we can that Christ came to save? We ought to be witnesses unto Him everywhere we go. Everywhere. Our theme this year is from Acts 5, 28. Ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. It's on the walls. It's not just there to look pretty. It's to remind you, let's be busy. Let's saturate our city. Let's get the word out that Jesus saves. Let's fill Rapid City and the surrounding area with God's doctrine of salvation through Christ alone. Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But listen to what Jesus said in Mark 8.38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Are you a witness for Christ today? It is commanded. It reveals your heart. It's why you are here. And I'll close with this quickly. Witnessing causes you to thrive because it keeps you in tune with the heart of God. Matthew 1.21 She shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 9.13 But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. John 1.29 The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. 1 Timothy 1.15 This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This is at the very heart of God. This is why He said in Genesis 3.15, there's a promise seed coming. That's why He told Abraham, there's a promise seed coming. That's why He told David, there's going to be one that will sit upon the throne. That's why He told the prophets, there's a Messiah on the way. What was this all building up to? It was building up to the fact that God would come down in the flesh and that He would save us from our sins. That is the heartbeat of God. The choir sings the song, Jesus Saves. Hear the heart of heaven beating. Jesus saves. Are you living near to the heart of God? The hymn says, O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God. When you are a witness of Jesus, you are dwelling near to the heart of God. What a thought. He has entrusted us with the ministry of reconciliation. Are you a witness or are you ashamed? What would God say?
Let's pray.